Catalyst podcast, where we share stories to inspire, uplift, and encourage you in your peacemaking journey. I'm Becca Pugh, and I am a program director with Peace Catalyst in the Washington, D.C. area. And as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Keith Giles. Yeah, I'm Keith Giles, and it's great to be here on the podcast, Becca, with you. And uh, this is a really special episode. Um that I can't wait to jump into. But before we do that, I want to just say, uh, if you, our listeners, really enjoy the Peace Catalyst podcast, would you do us a favor? Take some time to rate and review the podcast on uh, iTunes or whatever you happen to listen to podcasts on, Um, because it really does help boost our visibility to other listeners and encourages other people to give us a listen. And we would appreciate that. Yeah. (laughs) Only takes a second. That's right. And it means so much. We really appreciate that. Yeah, we really do. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, we've been doing something every episode, uh, the last couple episodes, which is a peace quote of the week. And um, this week's peace quote is from a friend of mine, Brandon Andrews. He's an author, and um, but a great guy. <clears throat> and um, I came across this quote of his that I thought was really great. Uh, his quote was, if we want a world in which we finally lay down our instruments of war, whether they be words or weapons, it only begins when the peace we celebrate becomes the peace that incarnates. Mm, wow, that's powerful. Just yeah. that word that word incarnates, like it has to become living, like it has to become part of who we are and, yeah. and how we live our lives. Yeah, that is such a, I love that quote. Yeah, it is such an important thing because it's so much more than just a philosophy, um, you know, let's debate what should we do if this happens and how do we solve these problems? It really has to be something, I think, like we have to have such a commitment to reconciliation and peacemaking that yeah. it's something that we really embody in every part of our life. And that can be, mm-hmm. that can be challenging. You know, it's, in other words, it's something where we have to be changed by this and transformed by this message of Jesus mm-hmm. um, about loving our enemies and blessing those who curse us and all that. Like it's got to be something, first of all, that we, incarnate at this sort of cellular level <clears throat> if it's really going to work at all it can't just be a philosophy it can't just be a you know something that oh i do this on the weekends right it's got to be something that i'm really committed to uh in my entire life absolutely yeah definitely and i, I like how it says words or weapons because you know our words how we talk about others does harm those people and harms yep. ourselves too and um, yeah, it's such a great point. Yeah, yeah, I really do. I love it. So thanks, Brandon. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Brandon. <laughs> um, well, we're so stoked um, to be starting a brand new series on the Peace Catalyst podcast, where we're actually going to be talking with our very own Peace Catalyst program coordinators and directors across the country and across the globe. Um, so we're going to be asking, you know, our, our very own PCI folks about their own peacemaking journeys and, you know, how are they building understanding and connection and collaboration with their diverse neighbors for peace wherever they're located. So, you know, we've got staff all across the U.S., we've got staff across the world in Bosnia and Indonesia, and we're really excited to be connecting with them on this series and learning more about them and their stories and and how they've grown to become peacemakers. Yeah, I'm excited about this too because, um, you know, we've been doing now, I don't know how many 
episodes, we're, we're pretty deep into the Peace Catalyst podcast, and we haven't talked about Peace Catalyst very much, uh, a little bit here and there maybe, but um, I know a lot of our listeners might be going, you know, I like the podcast, I really like the guests you guys have on, I like the things you discuss, but what is Peace Catalyst? And so that's what we're going to do in this upcoming series is um, by talking to some of these people, and I think what people will notice as we're going you know, through this series is um, there are people you know, in Peace Catalyst, and we're going to even get into this with our interview, uh, with today's interview. But um, there's there's similarities, but there's also a lot of flexibility and a lot of um, creativity mm-hmm. in the right. way, different ways that people live out sort of the Peace Catalyst mission and, and uh, vision and, and, and our strategy. Mm-hmm. But to explain a little bit, kind of like put some flesh on the bones of like, let's meet some people besides you and me. <laughs> who do who work with Peace Catalyst? And, and who are uh, we? What do we do? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you know, we, you and I haven't talked very much at all. Maybe down the road yeah. we should interview each other about uh, what we're doing. Yeah, that would be that. We that's down the road. We'll put a put a pin in that. We'll, we'll come back to that. <laughs> um, but in this week's episode, we are interviewing Martin and Susan Brooks. Um, Martin is the president and the executive director of Peace Catalyst International. Um, and he has been bringing together Muslims, Christians, and their neighbors in the Louisville, Kentucky area for more than 10 years. Actually, uh, Martin and Susan both have been doing this. And um, they're just really inspiring, fascinating people. And we can't wait to introduce you to them. So let's go. Welcome, Martin and Susan. We're really honored to have you both here talking with us today um, about Peace Catalyst and your roles um, within the organization and all of the incredible peacemaking that you're both doing. And just to to kick us off, um, could you just tell us a little bit about, you know, your story and how did you get connected to Peace Catalyst and what kind of drew you in or attracted you to it in the first place? Sure. Uh, first, I, I want to say thanks for doing this podcast. I'm, I'm just so excited about the the different guests that you've had, and uh, and now it's fun that the Peace Catalyst uh, staff are going to be introduced. Um, I'm really excited because I get to uh, kick the series off as the the new president of Peace Catalyst. But that's not how I started. Uh, that's not how Susan and I started. Uh, we were missionaries, uh, first in Mozambique, Africa, then in Ghana, uh, West Africa, and then most recently in, in Turkish Cyprus. And we were uh, working with Muslim friends there. Um, we, we, had, we had read a lot about Islam. Um, but, you know, it's different reading stories and reading books, reading facts about other people and then actually meeting them. So so it, it kind of rocked my world, honestly, when we went to, to Turkish Cyprus and my best friends uh, in a graduate program I was in there were uh, Palestinians from the Gaza Strip. And I began to ask questions uh, of them, uh, you know, about Islam, yes, but but also about life. You know, we we genuinely became friends. And, I, and it was in that process that I realized that a lot of what I had read about Muslims and Islam was biased at best. Um, 
and, and just inaccurate in, in some cases. You know, the, these missionaries and, and people who, who go overseas and, and write about Islam, you know, perhaps they've met a Muslim somewhere that thinks like whatever they wrote. But I was finding that it didn't represent the people that I was meeting. And I, I came back to the States, Susan and I came back to the States to our churches that had sent us out as missionaries to, to change the world and said, you know, I think we need to rethink how we're uh, approaching Muslims. Um, what we've been told isn't, isn't accurate. Of course, this was a, was a post 9-11 world. And, you know, everybody was viewing Islam through the lenses of uh, U.S. wars, uh, through the lens of their favorite news network. Um, and there was just a lot of misinformation. And I came back and started saying nice things about Muslims, and I found that my church community had a real problem with that. You know, they, they were nice to us, but they, they questioned our sanity, saying nice things about Muslims. And it, it, got, it got to the point where we, we needed to find a new group of people and a new tribe that was ready for a more nuanced conversation because we wanted the church to be relevant, to, to represent the love of Jesus accurately. Um, and there was just a big gap in, in my, from my perspective of how the church was responding to Muslims and how Jesus would have us respond to Muslims. A lot of fear going on. So that was our entryway uh, into, into Peace Catalyst. So we came from missions and uh, came to Peace Catalyst looking for a new tribe of people, a new way of, of approaching Muslims. Susan, you want to add anything to that? Yeah, just, um, you know, we were on the journey together while he was taking classes. I was teaching English at the university and so it was a Muslim university. We had the students over to our home, and, and we had neighbors that would hang fish, fresh fish on our doorknobs or, you know, bags of lemons. Or, and we were just showered with love uh, and, and falling in love with, the, you know, our new Muslim friends and, and going through this kind of change of... Uh, of thinking together and then we come home and and it was difficult to to transition yeah you know and on on a personal level i am so grateful that susan was on this journey with me you know we're we're processing these things together and and it's like am i crazy or are we are we like just way off base because our whole community, our whole church community was telling us we were wrong, that, that what we had experienced wasn't indeed fact, mm -hmm. that, that their understanding of, of the world abroad was, was more accurate than what we had lived. And I understand that it's, it's based on the information that you have, but, but we had a different set of information. And when we tried to share it, there was just so much fear um, and suspicion of the other um, that we wanted to find a way to invite the church into this journey that had blessed us in such an incredible way. 
Yeah. And I think that's really, that's really key, isn't it? That whole thing about when, when people respond with fear to the other, whoever that other group is, it usually is based, you know, more on, um, it's, it's based on, uh, suppositions, assumptions that, or, or, or other sources of information, but not based on actual experience. And I think when you have the actual experience, when you actually do meet other people that when you go cross the line and you meet those other people, uh, in that other group, and that, then you can realize, oh, wow, this information I've been given, this fear that I've been, um, uh, spoon fed, I can say that, you know what, that's, this is, doesn't bear true. And I think that's so key. And I think that's what I love about Peace Catalyst. So I think, uh, I can definitely resonate with what you're saying that, um, finding, finding a group like Peace Catalyst that, um, uh, gives people that opportunity to cross the line and have those experiences is pretty big deal, you know? Well, I'm so appreciative of, of Rick Love, who founded Peace Catalyst. Yeah. You know, he, he did that again in a, in a post 9-11 world. Um, and he, too, had, had been on, on this journey. Uh, he, he had an interesting story about Rick uh, finding a founding peace catalyst. He was teaching at a university and a, a reporter from Mother Jones magazine showed up in his class with his permission and did an article uh, that, and the cover of Mother Jones magazine had a, a woman in a fully covered uh, in a, in a burqa. And it said the the stealth crusade. And it was talking about how Christian missionaries go into Muslim countries pretending to be or uh, like undercover, you know, they're, they're, they're uh, a professor or teaching English or, or something to that effect. But really they have this agenda of uh, converting Muslims and it just, it, the integrity of that was problematic for, for Rick. And he began to look for a new way of relating to, to Muslims and started Peace Catalyst as, as a result. He saw the dangers of um, scapegoating the, the Muslim community. Um, he saw the dangers of labeling a, a, an entire group of people uh, as dangerous and not nuancing the conversation. He saw the church uh, responding poorly in many cases um, to the Muslim community. And he wanted to create uh, a sending agency for Christian peacemakers, for people who would look for the common good, look for the, the restoration of shalom, the mutual thriving of all. And in, in those genuine relationships, um, sure, we can talk about faith, we can talk about Jesus, we can talk about Muhammad and Islam and the problems of, of religion uh, versus uh, truly trying to follow God. Wonderful, wonderful conversations happen uh, in this context of trying to trying to work together for uh, the common good. So I'm curious, um, I mean, this is so many things like, so, you know, you, you experienced, I guess, what we're talking about here is this contrast, right? There's sort of there's two approaches to quote unquote being a missionary in you know to Muslim people from a Christian perspective, and the majority uh, probably is the uh, 
the kind of the covert, you know, you're the undercover agent, like you said, you're going into the Muslim country and you, you know, your goal is to, you have, you have this sort of agenda to uh, change hearts and minds and get turn, turn Muslims into Christians um, over time through certain strategies and things like that. And that is, I think for most Christians, that, that is what it is. That, that's, that is how we approach or should approach um, missions to Muslim people. And, um, and so you've experienced that side of it and felt like that wasn't legitimate or just didn't make sense um, and then felt drawn to something different. How did you come across Rick? How did, did you meet him? Did you, uh, how did you hear about him? And how, how did you get, you know, how did that process start for you guys? Was it the elephant in Thailand? Yeah, the, the first the first time I actually met Rick was uh, we were at, at a conference, uh, a missions conference in Chiang Mai, Thailand, and uh, you know he was he's he was like this um, statesman in the the evangelical world. Um, missions community. He was the leader of, of a major missions organization. And, you know, I'm, I'm the visitor that's out in the audience, kind of in awe of this man that's up on the stage. And the first time I actually uh, exchanged words with Rick, he was on an elephant uh, in, in Thailand, and I was on the elephant behind him in one of these tourist trap things where, you know, there's leading us through mud and the mountains of, of Thailand and we're yelling at each other, you know, our greetings and that sort of thing back and forth um, in Chiang Mai. But I watched him help organize the uh, common word, uh, the response, Christian response to the common word uh, that happened at, at Yale University. Um, for those who, who don't know, you know, the, the Muslim community wrote a document they call that many Muslim scholars came together and wrote this document that essentially said Christians um, serve one God and are told to, to love that God and to love others. Muslims believe the same thing. Let's let's build a relationship, build a better world based on that common word. So Rick helped um form a, a response to that and organized, helped organize a conference at Yale with um, Miroslav Volf was a part of that. Uh, several names, I, you know, significant church leading leader names were a part of that conference. And that's, that's where I admired what Rick was doing, what he was trying to do. And it was shortly after that, he, that he created a peace catalyst as a vehicle for Christians who wanted to relate to Muslims in a different way and seek peace. You know, and, and since that time, it's, it's not just Muslims that Peace Catalyst works with, though that's predominantly what we've done for the last 10 years. But the conversations of 9-11 have sort of shifted, in the U.S. anyway, to racial conversations and political conversations were just so divided. And Rick saw the dangers of these divides, you know, 11 years ago when he started Peace Catalyst. And, um, and we're shifting to, to address those, kind of discerning the signs of the times and, and stepping into those gaps. So good. And, you know, my story connects, I think, a lot with yours in the sense of, you know, living like 
living with Muslims. I lived with a Muslim host family in Jordan and getting to build those organic friendships um, really does have a huge impact on, you know, at least it did on me too, for my worldview and how we as Christians relate um, with Muslims. Um, so I'm also super grateful for Peace Catalyst in that regard. And um, so I'm well, wondering- have you. <laughs> me too. Um, yeah, and so I'm curious to hear more about since you joined this incredible community, you know, what have, what has your work looked like in Louisville? Louisville, am I saying it right? <laughs> Louisville. Louisville. There, there are like 12 different ways to say it. Yes. Whatever you said is probably one of them. <laughs> so, you know, what has your community building looked like there, your relationship building and peacemaking? And um, yeah, if you just tell us a little bit more about that. Um, one of my favorite things is we have breakfast and Bible reading with Christians and Muslims. Um, Saturday mornings, we have friends over and, and we just, we eat together and then we read. Um, we're reading in Luke right now. We read together and uh, our Muslim friends tell us what the Quran says. And like this past Saturday, we learned something really interesting. They a young lady uh, whose family was from Iraq uh, told us that each of the prophets in Islam has a nickname. And the nickname for Jesus is Spirit of God or Breath of God. Wow. And uh, we just thought that was really beautiful. And, and as we, we get together with our Muslim friends, we learn these beautiful things that we otherwise would have no idea about. And uh, just a great great time together um so that's something we do together yeah you know it's it's so fascinating to to bring christians and muslims together you know we, we susan fixes this wonderful halal breakfast and and the other friends kind of kind of pitch in with with that and then you know we shift to this bible reading but rather than being like a bible study like let me tell you about you know and, and i have this list it's really read the next paragraph. And so what's that say to you? Right. And then just see where the conversation goes and, you know, not, not trying to guide it. There's, there's no uh, attempt to convert our, our Muslim friends, which has created this incredibly safe space where they, they can share what they're thinking. And, and we learn so much when the trust grows, the posturing sort of drops away, fades away, and then we can have more genuine conversations. That has just been a, a beautiful, fulfilling thing. This last Saturday, we had 17 people. Uh, it kind of fills up our little house, but um, we had people from um, uh, Morocco, Iraq, um, of course, the U.S. This week, we had people from Mexico and Colombia, uh, so we... So we had Spanish and Arabic. Oh, we had Turkish friends here. So we had we had Turkish, Spanish, and uh, Arabic and English. Um, a young lady whose parents were from Afghanistan. Oh, right, right. Mm -hmm. So, so, uh, and then this it was, was really fun for for the for the Christians. Sometimes Christians hear, "Oh, you're having a Bible reading with Muslims," and they they think. 
oh good, you're going to, to convert them. But really what happens in this space is this honesty. This, um, yeah, this, the, the, the Christians see uh, a way to relate to the other where, where the agendas sort of fade away and we're genuinely seeking God together. Mm-hmm. What have you learned? You know, Muslims pray five times a day. What devout ones do? Uh, you know, pray five times a day. They fast for 30 days each year, you know, all in an, an attempt to honor God. And it's like, how does that work for you? You know, what to, and to show up to a conversation like that and and assume I have all the answers and you know nothing. And I'm just waiting for this opportunity to kind of undermine your faith. People see through that so quickly. And, but, but this is, this is one of those safe spaces that has just blessed Susan and me and our Christian friends and our Muslim friends so much we we all benefit from it so that's one that's a beautiful thing probably the the most exciting thing that that we've done here in louisville you want to talk about peace feast um you can tell them about peace feast i'll tell them about my art okay we'll get to it so um <laughs> when i joined peace catalyst you know we had this these series of uh programs that they suggest you know they it, Rick and and others said, hey, we've tried this. You know, why don't you try this? Peace Feast worked really well for us. The first one we did at a Palestinian restaurant. We go to a restaurant and say, what's your slowest night of the week? I want to bring you some business. So, you know, we're we're trying to bless the local community in that. And then we ask the whatever ethnicity, we have a a specific uh, ethnicity focus for each of the peace feasts. So like this one was a Palestinian one. And we asked the restaurant owner, share a little bit about um, well, whatever, whatever you want. You know, he, he had been a restaurant owner in uh, Jerusalem and, and he had to come to the U S because there were so many security scares there. He would, he would cut up all of his vegetables for a day and then they'd lock down the city for some reason and the product would spoil. He couldn't run a business in, in that environment. So just to hear stories like that, humanize uh, another person. We had 13 people at that first peace feast. And then we did, um, we've we done Turkish peace feast. We've done um, Pakistani, um, Syrian, um, Persian. Persian um, Kurdish, you know, we, we've done several of these. Um, and you know, one we had, we had 80 people come to a restaurant and what we do is instead of letting somebody take the microphone and speak for the evening, um, we ask questions at the tables and we let them discuss. We try to get Muslims and Christians at each table and, um, let them discuss things. You know, tell me if I were to come to your family's home in whatever country you're from um, for a holiday, what what would we do? And then just let them share about, and, and people realize, gee, we do the same thing for Christmas and Thanksgiving here, you yeah. know, and it's just, we're so similar. And if we can focus on that, if we can make room in our heart for the other, then we can begin to make room in our head for the other. Too often, 
Um, we've been taught that the churches have, have taught us, or I, maybe we're hardwired in, in some way to look for danger signs. And it's like, oh, this person's against me. And, and then we distance ourselves from them. And we're trying to reverse that, that process. So that's one of the things that we do. Uh, the, we then moved into a local park. We partnered with some other agencies uh, here in town and did what we called the big table. Shut down a street and a park. We've done this for three years before COVID. Um, the last time we had 1,800 people show up for a big potluck dinner with questions around the table and getting to know their neighbors. So those are some of the things that we do. That's a big potluck. Yeah. And, and the food was great. We had food from all over the world, you know. So amazing. And I know that's so incredible. It sounds like, you know, it's just the, these efforts to just bring people together for mm. food, for conversation, for community. Um, it's, it's so incredible. And I know, Susan, that you also have um, your artwork that is a means for peacemaking locally as well. Did you want to share about that? Sure. Um, in 2018, Kentucky Refugee Ministries wanted to have a, an art celebration in, to celebrate World Refugee Week. And they invited local artists to submit work. And uh, in 2018, we were able to have uh, exhibitions, receptions, openings, you know, public events where people would come out and, and see the artwork. And they also had... Uh, and dancing and just a, a beautiful celebration of the diversity in our city that we have thanks to the refugee population. And so I was uh, thrilled to be able to have some artwork and, and participate in that. Um, and then in 2020, it was Kentucky Refugee Ministry's 30-year anniversary, and they wanted to have a big celebration, but of course it was 2020. So they had to get creative and find other ways to display art without getting big groups of people together. So I was able to uh, let them use some of my artwork and they've made big banners. And I know some of the thinking behind it was to put art in parts of town that wouldn't normally have access to art. So they've hung some of the big banners in some of the areas downtown where people wouldn't always get to see it. Um, and I just, I think um, to celebrate the dignity and beauty of people who are different from, from the majority um, is something I really enjoy with my artwork. Um, also, 2020, of course, was the year of the Black Lives Matter protests. And um, of course, there was a lot of tension around that and, and people getting upset, but um, Brianna Taylor was Brianna Taylor here, was here in Louisville where we live. Was shot here in Louisville. And so there were there were big protests downtown, but some of my church members were praying and singing and worshiping downtown and and leading in the protests as well, in peaceful protests. And so I was able to uh portray in in, in a large piece of artwork some of uh, some of my church friends praying. Um, in those protests, and that that piece is now hanging in the Capitol in Frankfurt as part of Team Kentucky Gallery. 
Um, so whenever I have a chance earlier, let's see, January of this year, there was a Black Lives Matter exhibition and, and I submitted um, some work again from the archives of Kentucky Refugee Ministries who gave me permission to use, use their photo gallery. So um, that's been something that I have really enjoyed, a way to use my art to uh, promote the, the beauty and dignity of the, those who come from other countries to bless our city. Um, so what, what we do, it, it sounds sort of random. Oh, you, you have, you have breakfasts, you, you eat meals, you paint, you know, but, but there, there's a bit of method to, to the madness. Um, you know, in, in Peace Cows, we talk about understanding the other, connecting to the other, and collaborating with the other. So, you know, many, many people are, are so fearful of the other, they need a bridge person to help them with the understanding piece of it. So we, you know, we'll, we'll bring people together and, and make introductions and, and try to get them to, to better understand the perspective of another. Because the labels that we hang on people are are doing us a disservice. You know, we we hang a label on somebody. Oh, they're Democrat. They're you know Republican. Oh, they're liberal. Oh, they're conservative. Oh, they're Muslim. Oh, they're Christian. You know, well, does Christian mean you're a white nationalist? Well, probably not. You know, that's okay. Um, but but. Um, but we but we deal in these generalizations. So part of understanding is is surfacing uh, our own biases as we approach the other, and helping us nuance the conversation. But then to connect with the other, we mean more than getting you know two hundred people in a room to hear about the five pillars of faith of Islam and you know a lecture on on the Trinity. Um, what what we mean by connecting is you're in each other's homes, you're in each other's speed dial in your phone, um, you're getting coffee together, you know each other's families and what's going on. You're you're praying for each other. You're you're involved with each other's lives. That's the level of connection that we're trying to promote. So yeah, we do these top of funnel events to draw people in, but the goal is this connecting. And once we connect with the other. Um, we we start to understand better, and then we find areas that we both care about. You know, we we both care about uh, the poor uh, having sufficient food. So, like here in Louisville, we found a way to collaborate on uh, food security issues, uh, bringing food to the local refugee populations. We actually got a grant from Islamic Relief USA. Got multiple grants from them. Uh, Muslims and Christians working together to feed uh, the hungry on a smaller scale. Well, it wasn't even smaller. There, there was a, a church um, when one of the Muslim holidays rolled around, um, one of the Eids, they, part of their tradition is to give part of the, the sacrificed animal or uh, to, to the poor, to, to their neighbors. So a church and um, Muslim community went in together to buy meat 
uh, not only for the holiday and to share it together, but then they served together at a Volunteers for America women's shelter um, and donated the, the meat there. So churches and um, mosques working together uh, for issues that they care about. And as those people work together, as they serve together uh, in, in those projects, um, you show up not to have a theological conversation. So everybody's not on their defensive. You, so, you show up to do a job. And in doing this, this job together, this ministry together, you begin to care about the other person. You, you can ask questions in a more relaxed, less defensive posture. And it, it becomes somewhat cyclical. The understanding, connecting, collaborating, the more you collaborate, the more questions you have and the better understanding you have. Uh, and the more you care about the person, the more you want to connect. My favorite story of how what we do can have an impact worldwide is um, about what happened when they vandalized a mosque here in Louisville. I'd like Martin to share that. Great story. <laughs> um, that was 2015, I, I think. We had a, a local mosque that was vandalized, um, you know, graffiti and stuff, threatening things painted on, on the mosque. And uh, as I recall, it was a Wednesday night. Thursday morning, I got a call that said the mosque had been vandalized and they were going to do a press conference. And, the, and my Muslim friends asked me to come be a part of this press conference. So we show up and the mayor's there and, uh, you know, the local councilmen are there, state representatives are there. And um, the, the mayor made a statement, said, look, this is not who Louisville is. We welcome the foreign born in Kentucky. And he made a big deal about uh, welcoming uh, refugees and, and the foreign born. Um, so he challenged the city to respond. And so that was Thursday morning. Friday, a thousand people from all walks of life showed up at this mosque with paint brushes and paint and uh, school groups uh, let out and, and came to support uh, the Muslim community. Uh, there wasn't enough graffiti to go around. You know, they had, they had to pass off the paint brushes and say, you, just, you paint a little bit of graffiti and I'll paint some, you know, because so many people showed up. Well, the beautiful thing that, one of the beautiful things that came out of that was one of the members of the mosque was a Pakistani physician. And he wrote an op-ed that appeared in the largest English paper in Pakistan. And he said, when our community in um, Louisville was attacked by vandals, by, by hate, by people who hate, the Christian community, the um, Jewish community, the Sikh community all rallied to us. The city rallied to us to stand in solidarity with us. And he asked his Pakistani audience, he said, would we have done the same thing for a religious minority in Pakistan? Wow. So, so you see, because the city responded well mm -hmm. to an attack against the Muslim community, it gave him a platform to challenge his own country, his own community, to advocate for, for religious freedom. 
You know, we talk about Christians being persecuted around the world. Here's a Muslim man defending the rights of Christians in Pakistan because we responded well in the U.S. Yeah, that's beautiful. Wow, that is amazing. It's so powerful to see how, you know, we talk about globalization, but then the local context and how they really do impact each other. And that's something else I love about Peace Catalyst is that we do have that international impact, even, you know, from from what we're doing here in the U.S. And it's, it's really... And that, and that has been a little bit tough for me. I've always, I have a, a, a master's degree in international relations, so I like the international piece. And Rick and I kind of bonded over that. Uh, you know, we've done conferences at Georgetown University in D.C. Uh, on uh, peacemaking in, in a Christian uh, environment. A, a group called Evangelicals for Peace emerged out of that conference that consisted of um, World Vision, World Relief, National Association of Evangelicals, uh, Sojourners. Uh, there, there were about eight or nine groups that were that emerged out of that. Uh, Rick organized a conference um, with a, at uh, Temple University on uh, Islamophobia. Um, he, he's... The organization, well, we have people in uh, Bosnia and people in uh, Indonesia. We would like to be more international than we are. Most of our people are in the U.S. But when I shifted, when they asked me to be the president of Peace Catalyst, I had to shift from local programming to thinking about building an organization. Um, And that's been a little bit tough for me because I, I love the Saturday morning breakfast. Uh, I love the big table events. Uh, you know, I love building uh, friendships with my Muslim uh, neighbors. And yet we're trying to build a network of Christian peacemakers, helping them think through what does it mean to um, seek shalom for all, the mutual thriving for all, um, what does it mean to be a Christian peacemaker? How do we draw on the social sciences uh, to do to do this better? How do we do it locally and, and how do we do it internationally? So those are the conversations we're having. We want to recruit people to come be a part of, of this movement that Rick envisioned. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I think it's really powerful as you talked about earlier, Martin, how we're kind of seeking to equip Christians to do this in whatever their context is. It may, it may be Christians and Muslims, or like you said earlier, it could be race relations or it could be political divisions. Um, But helping, helping Christians to be able to understand and connect and collaborate with the other. um, Right. You, You know, most, I realize most of what I've said has been in the Christian Muslim context uh, because that's that's my background and that's that's what I'm most familiar with and that's what we've done for the last uh, ten years. But with the whole rise of the racial conversations in the U.S., we have realized as an organization that the same things that make people fearful of Muslims make them fearful of the other, whoever the other is, right. um, and that the same process of better understanding 
closer connections, looking for ways to collaborate can bring healing in in a, many um, situations that the church faces. We really see ourselves as, as ministers to the church in trying to help the church respond better to people that are outside the church. So often we have reduced that to, oh, we just need to evangelize them. But no, there's, there's, there's being human too um, with, and, and learning to relate to people that we, that we disagree with sometimes. But how do we still thrive uh, together? And, and what's what's preventing that? So that, that's what peacemaking is. We're standing sort of in between two communities, addressing issues of injustice. What does it mean to love the other? Uh, from a Christian perspective, what does it mean to love God and, and love your neighbor? Um, you know, Jesus said that that summed it up. Um, and I, I feel like so often we, we run on these theological tangents and we isolate ourselves from somebody because of a an understanding of some Bible passage that we have. Um, and we just want to learn to, to walk together with people, to bless people. Because we think that's what Jesus did. Jesus showed up in places where, um, you know, the, the religious community didn't approve. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, and hearing you talk and explain that, Martin, it's, I think it's super helpful and hopefully it connects the dots for some of our listeners on the podcast who, who may not really understand this whole strategy of, um, as you were saying, the goal is not to evangelize, but, but the focus being on peacemaking. And I think that's what I really love and appreciate, appreciate about Peace Catalyst is that we really are trying to provide resources and to model all the different ways that we can be better peacemakers. And that there is sort of a, at least this is my perspective, there, I feel like there's sort of like, if, if you take the evangelism track, if your goal is evangelism, then it will become more about proving you're right and they're wrong. Whereas if your focus is peacemaking, and then the, so the goal is to build connections, as you were saying, and relationships and friendships to the point where, you know, uh, you've got their, you've got phone numbers on your, on your phone uh, that, you know, you call someone and go happy birthday or, Hey, I heard your son, you know, graduated from high school or, Hey, I heard someone was sick. How you doing? And, and doesn't matter if they're Muslim or Christian or whatever their background is, you love them. You genuinely care about them. There is no sort of hidden agenda of anything else. It really is genuinely about being a peacemaker, building these connections um, and seeking not to prove who's right or wrong, but to find like, what are the things we have in common? Let's focus on those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's what I love. That's what attracted me to Peace Catalyst. And uh, I think you guys, both of you, uh, Martin and Susan, modeled this so beautifully in all the different ways. And I think this is the thing too, sorry, I'm rambling a bit, but <laughs> I think there is sort of a point here um, that um, whereas there are, there are sort of programmatic things that Peace Catalyst does, you know, we do peace feasts and we do these things. There's some, there's some things that we do um, that are kind of across the board. There's also a tremendous amount of freedom to explore, you know, many other ways in your context and your local context right. to be a peacemaker. And I love that that's that, that there is that freedom and that permission, you know, whether it's your painting or, you know, and Susan, you also, you do a blog on, on Patheos. And um, so it can't be something really big, but it can be something small as well. Um, and again, with the goal always being, are we p- 
peacemaking? Are, are we peacemakers? Are we ambassadors of reconciliation? And how are we doing that? Because I feel like that's something for a lot of people, even if you want to do that, there's not a lot out there uh, to practically show you how to do those things. They say, they say all peacemaking is local. If somebody were to come on with Peace Catalyst and say, hey, I live in, you know, City X, wherever, um, and I want to join Peace Catalyst, the, the first thing we would advise them to do is to discern what's going on in their city. Right. What can they join in with uh, and how can they and how do their talents and passions uh, match match that. So yes, Peace Catalyst is very flexible because the goal is understanding, connecting, and collaborating with the other, bringing diverse communities together for, for mutual thriving. And just this morning, I, I had breakfast with a, a, a Turkish uh, imam friend of mine. He invited me to his house and um, he, he had a um, He's still learning learning English, um, and he has he sometimes comes well pretty regularly comes to our Saturday morning um, Bible readings and halal breakfast, and we had this moment of connection when I was a missionary in uh, Mozambique and trying to learn Portuguese. And I had all of these things in my head that I wanted to say, but I just couldn't pull the words to, to say. Um, he is experiencing the same thing. He'll sit, he'll sit in the Bible study, and you can just see the wheels turning in his head. And he'll, he'll try to say something, and he just can't pull the right words, and he's so frustrated uh, by that. But boy, that is a point of bonding for him and, and me, for he and I, or however you're supposed to say that, um, we're relating on a human level. Um, And then, you know, the conversation turned to, you know, what, what does the, what does the church think about, um, well, the topic this morning was divorce. What does the church, does, does the, does the state or does the church marry people, you know, so we have these conversations about faith and, and there's just the safety that we feel with each other. And that's what we, we want. All Christians should feel this safety, this, this freedom to have genuine conversations about faith, be, be who you are and, and share how you understand things. Um, but learn to do so in a, in a way that makes space for the other person to have their opinions and and be humble enough to to learn from the other and from their journey. This man's wife is being uh, detained in Turkey. You know he's he's living without his wife for for months now. So you know I you know we ask about about that. Um, but it's these relationships that are so important that Peace Catalyst facilitates and encourages and would like to invite the church in, into, into this space. And you talk about evangelism. You know, we, we downplay evangelism because, partly because of the way the church has defined it. Yeah. 
You know, it, it's not that we don't, I, I want everybody to, to love Jesus and, and follow the way of, of Jesus. But that's a little bit different than following, converting to American Christianity. Right. You know, which it's like, which version of that? Uh, so, you know, we, we say we don't evangelize, but what we mean is sort of that latter definition of it. We, we talk about Jesus all the time, but we also talk about Muhammad and, and whatever else interest our, uh, whoever's across the table from us. If it's a racial conversation, you know, it's like, well, let's talk about the harms that have happened and, and how I might have contributed to that. But giving people space to say what they need to say, and then trusting the Holy Spirit to sort of shape all of us um, as we walk together. Yeah, we're just so grateful for your leadership in that, Martin yeah. and Susan, and you know how you you lead us all in, in the example of how you follow Jesus and build peace um, with your neighbors. So thank you for that. And, um, you know, as we look to the future for Peace Catalyst, um, where are we going? Where are we headed? What's on the horizon of the future? And um, as we continue to grow this incredible community of peacemakers, um, what is your vision for, for um, yeah, where we're we going? Well, thanks for that uh teeing up of that question, uh, Becca, that was, it, but it's, but so important, you know, for, since COVID has come, some of our face-to-face programs have shut down. Yeah. Um, you know, Rick Love uh, was, was a mentor and friend of mine, you know, and, and shaped Peace Catalyst. And he passed away in December of 2019. And then of course, COVID hit you know, very soon after that. So we've had a time to reflect on what it is that we've been doing. At the same time, we had the racial conversations uh, intensifying in in the U.S. And, you know, how do we speak into that? Uh, there was a Christian writer a, a long time ago, uh, Henry Blackaby, that said, find what God's doing and join in. And, you know, that that hit me at a at a formative time uh, in my life. So, you know, in this past year and a half, what is God doing and how can we join in that is the question that we're asking. So we just, we have just, we want to be a sending agency. If you think about it, like in missionary terms, missionaries have sending agencies, you know, and, and, you know, they'll, they'll take somebody and send them to a country and, you know, they raise support and they do their training and the organization sort of supports them. We want to be something similar for Christian peacemakers who don't go with the agenda of planting churches or evangelizing, making everybody a little bit more, you know, like us, um, but seeking the peace of the city. Um, Rick all the time quote, you know, seek peace and pursue it. Um, uh, you know, Peter quoted that and it's in the Psalms too. Um, but we want to, we want to be a sending agency. So we're looking for people to join us. We have a, you know, an onboarding process, some, some training materials to help people kind of think through this, 
this ethos that that Rick gave us and that that we're continuing to develop. Um, there's some unpacking that has to be done. You know, if you if you've come from a strong evangelical background where evangelism is the only thing, it's like, well, okay, what do we mean by that? And how does that bless people? And how can we point to God, point to Jesus, and and not to our church and denomination and American patriotism and et cetera? So there's some unpacking to be done that uh, that we do as as we walk with new people. So you know, where do we want to go? We would like to see. We're in 15 cities. We would like to be in some of the major cities around the world, especially where populations are um, diverse. Um, we'd like to be in more international settings. Our group, our uh, Brian and Stephanie in uh, Sarajevo are just, you know, knocking it out of the park um, in, in that city. You know, they're, they're organizing a, a trauma awareness um, workshop for people who, who provide um, care for people who've been traumatized. So it's not for the traumatized, but for the caregivers of the traumatized. And the teachers are going to be people from uh, Bosnia and Rwanda. You talk about drawing on experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, you know, we want to see that happen more and more. They're partnering with local uh, Muslim organizations, um, secular organizations. Uh, we just want to bring people together. But we bring this ethos of we follow Jesus and we look to his teachings and example and we invite people into that with us. So if anybody's interested in joining Peace Catalyst, go to the web page, fill out the uh, the inquiry form and, and we'll reach out to you and Let's, let's begin a conversation about where you can be a peacemaker. Maybe it means you you move to a different country, but maybe it means you stay in your hometown and, and figure it out there. Um, Keith, you were just talking about some of the Afghan uh, people that are fleeing or are coming to your city. You never know what God is, is going, what doors God's going to open up. Um, but he works upstream from us. I, I preached about this Sunday. You know, um, he knows what's coming and, and he prepares us for that and gets us in the right place. And we want to think that Peace Catalyst can be a vehicle to get peacemakers in the right place um, as, as we discern the signs of the time and listen to the, the Spirit's guiding. Yeah. And, you know, I also want to also emphasize something, and you alluded to it, but it's just to put a point on it. Um, if anyone's listening to this and saying, yeah, you know, this sounds really great. I, I, I think I might want to be a part of Peace Catalyst. We should probably emphasize that it doesn't have to be um, a sort of a Christian to Muslim uh, form of peacemaking. It could be peacemaking ac- across racial divides. It could be uh, peacemaking within the inner city between gangs and communities. It could be a variety of things like what really and I, I think this is really great because I think you've helped us to identify uh, and spearhead this shift within Peace Catalyst to not only be Christians and Muslims, but peacemaking of any kind, uh, of any sort, right? Whenever there's an opportunity for peacemaking, Peace Catalyst wants to be uh, a resource for that and, a, and an agency that helps people uh, pursue that, right? So it doesn't ju- it doesn't have to be in a, in a Christian Muslim context. 
You're, you're, you're exactly right. We've done, we've done Christian Muslim for 10 years and we've learned a lot from that. And what we've learned is it applies in many different areas. So we want to offer these gifts and these things that we've learned from our Muslim friends, um, to, to other communities. Um, one, one clarification or, or one bit of information I want to bring out is the, the difference in peacemaking and peace building. So I, I guess I honestly think about peace catalyst primarily in, in a technical sense as peace building. You know, scripture talks about blessed are the peacemakers. And I, I would kind of argue that, that in today's vernacular, the way organizations use that, it's, Perhaps, perhaps it means peace building. When I think, and the distinction in, in my mind anyway, is peacemaking is you got two people that are butting heads with each other and you step in between and, and sort of stop the butting of the heads. It's like make a peace treaty, but just because people aren't shooting at each other doesn't mean there's peace. Right. So the, the peace building is what systems need to be in place, what relationships need to be in place that can cause us to thrive together. And I think that's what Peace Catalyst does best. You know, we're not going to step into the situation, you know, in Afghanistan or something and say, whoa, ceasefire. Um, But we might step into a divorce situation or something of of friends um, and say, whoa, ceasefire, you know, let's Let's back it down and, you know, here and, and bring whatever skill set we bring to it. So there's room in peace cows for both the peacemakers uh, and the peace builders. I love that. And I think it's an important distinction. Yeah, you can have you can have two parties that are they're not they're not actively hurting each other, but there's certainly no unity or a conversation there. Um, right. And so the goal, I think, ultimately, the goal is to uh, not just stop hurting each other, whether that's with words or with bombs, um, but to reach a place where there's actual, you know, unity and friendship and connection. And um, well, the, the whole racial conversations yeah. are, are great com- a great example of that. Yeah. You know, there, there are words and underlying things and, and sometimes harm going on that, that need to be unpacked. So, you know, there's, there's a ceasefire. Let, let's understand what's really going on, but then let's build something better. Let's, let's build peace, something where we can all thrive together. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, this has been amazing. Thank you. Uh, it's been great just to uh, have an opportunity to let people get to know uh, you guys better and hear more of the story of your story, as well as the story of Peace Catalyst and where we've been and where we are, and where we're going. And uh, thank you guys so much. Thank you for taking the time to share your story with all of us. Well, thank you guys for doing the podcast. You all are just doing amazing work. And if, if somebody's listening to this one and you haven't listened to the previous ones, go back and look at, at the amazing people they've interviewed. Um, you all are doing great work. You're knocking it out of the park. So thank, thank you yes, thank and for you. this opportunity. Maybe there's a way for people like me who listen to podcasts and then they say, well, what, what, how can I follow up? What can I read? 
Maybe you can list a couple of books as resources because I know those are, we have some of those available as well. Yes. Like How to Heal Our Divides and uh, some of Rick's Peace Catalyst books. Yes. Uh, yeah. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. So definitely. Yeah, we didn't Thank even you. talk about how to heal our divides, but that's uh, oh. that was a fun project that we got invited because we love to collaborate with other organizations too. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I keep jumping back into it when you wrap it up. Awesome. <laughs> wow, that was a great conversation, you know, and, and um, we wanted to make sure that we mentioned. Um, that there are a couple of books that uh, that will also help kind of explain a little bit more about Peace Catalyst and uh, who we are, what we do. Um, one is a book called How to Heal Our Divides um, by a variety of authors, Brian Elaine, Brian McLaren, Shane Claiborne, who's also been a guest on the podcast, uh, Diana Butler-Bass, uh, and several others, but it includes a chapter by our very own Martin Brooks, so you can check that out. Yeah. It's a great chapter. I can vouch for it. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, such an incredible conversation. And I, I'm just so grateful for kind of this, this story that Martin and Susan shared about, you know, their own journey of being in a context of missions and getting to know their Muslim neighbors and then kind of coming back to the U.S. and, and finding a little bit of, um, you know, resistance or kind of I don't want to say antagonism, but just resistance towards their, their experiences and what they learned um, and how they were really, yeah, looking for a community that could foster that same kind of um, love and peace towards, towards their Muslim neighbors. So it's really powerful. Yeah, it was great. I'm really very, very uh, grateful for them sharing this story. And I think one of the key things for me, that I'm really glad that uh, Martin and Susan brought out is how, how peace catalyst is different from other, you know, sort of sending missionary evangelism sort of organizations. And again, not to criticize those organizations at all. It's just that peace catalyst is, it takes a very different approach, which I really appreciate, which is um, more of an approach of building connections and relationships and true friendships um, with people who are not like us whether they're a Muslim or otherwise. And um, and building those connections, because we recognize, number one, this is what it means to follow Jesus, to be ministers of reconciliation, um, to be peacemakers, right? To live at peace with all men as, as far as it depends upon you, as Paul says. Mm-hmm. And um, and that it's something that, as we said in, earlier in the, in the podcast, like with a quote from Brandon, it's something that we want to incarnate. Like this peacemaking is something we want to incarnate. And I think that's the part to me mm-hmm. That I love about Peace Catalyst because it's showing us, showing me how to incarnate this in a very real way. Yeah. Because I think otherwise, to be honest, um, I don't know that I am incarnating it, right? I don't know that I have a real specific direct way to incarnate it in my actual life. Other, other than, you know, actually making friends and connections with people who aren't like me. And I really, I really appreciate that Peace Catalyst provides... Um, an opportunity for that and resources for that. And, um, you know, sort of a, a, a blueprint for how to do that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Same here. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I think it's so cool because like we meant, like we mentioned in the podcast in our interview, it's, you know, this concept of, 
understanding, connecting, collaborating with a variety of, of groups of people um, and our neighbors, whoever they may be, wherever we're living, because maybe there, maybe it is this Christian Muslim relationship that, you know, is really um, uh, something that's relevant to your life or a conflict that is relevant to your community. And you want to be a part of building peace in that in that regard, but maybe it's, it's not that maybe it's political division or it's race relations or it's something else. And just being able to incarnate peace wherever you are and whatever that context may be. And I think, yeah, that's, what's so beautiful about peace catalyst is we can do that um, in a variety of, of ways and, and different kind of social divisions and, and. Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Again, I think in sort of a um, an oblique, sort of a tangent way in the podcast, we've, we've sort of communicated that, right? I mean, we started off with a series interviewing Muslim women, which was awesome. Like, oh, we, we're learning from women and Muslims uh, about peacemaking, which that, that was great. I love that we started off with that. But then we did a series where we interviewed Christians who were peacemaking, and they weren't always doing peacemaking with, you know, it wasn't a Muslim Christian thing. It was you know, we've, we've covered many other different things, you know, inner city things, racial divides, political divides, you know, these kind of things. And um, so we sort of, you know, modeled it without coming flat out and saying it. So I really appreciate in this interview that Martin and Susan gave us an opportunity to just flat out point to it and say, well, Peace Catalyst is committed to peacemaking and to um, making real connection and relationships and collaboration with the other Um, And yes, primarily it might be, you know, for many of us, the Muslim Christian thing, but not exclusively. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, our passion is to equip and and empower those Christians for peacemaking, whatever that looks like. So we're kind of, yeah, putting out resources and and classes and trainings, opportunities to come and kind of be equipped for that, whatever your context is. So it's really cool. You know, and I think it's also, you know, Martin kind of talked about this. There's this kind of conflict between different groups of people, but then there's also kind of interpersonal conflicts and how do we find healing for those um, conflicts and those divisions. And um, maybe it's a family member who's, you know, has different political views than you do. (laughs) So how can we learn how to um, be peacemakers in, in that context too, I think is really important. Yeah. And you know, I, I agree. And I would like down the road, you know, again, we'll just play, put that on the list of things we want to cover in the future because um, I have a real heart for that sort of, but in, in Christian families and in Christian communities, even just in churches in general, um, I mean, come on, the political divide over the last five years uh, in the church has just become so pronounced. Mm-hmm. And I know there have been church splits over political, you know, uh, ideologies and, and identifications and, and, and views. And it's such a, such a division in the body of Christ. It's, it's also dividing families. And, um, and I would love to address in an upcoming episode, some ways that people, you know, what do I do? I, I talk to people all the time, personally, uh, asking me things like that, like, what do I do about this divide in my church or this divide in my family or, and, you know, my best friend and I, you know, don't talk anymore because, uh, you know, he's Republican, I'm Democrat, or vice versa. Right. And so that is a huge, huge divide. And uh, yeah, I would love down the road to specifically address that question, because I know that's something a lot of people are struggling with right now. And, and it seems like it's getting a lot worse. It's not getting any better. Right, right. 
Absolutely. Yeah, it's really crucial. And I think, you know, even in this like Christian peacebuilding network that we've um, just la- recently launched and mm-hmm. I've been um, facilitating a cohort at my church and kind of that was kind of the main conflict that was coming up for people that's on their hearts is the big C church and kind of these political mm-hmm. divisions and racial divisions and, you know, how do we, um, how do we bring healing in that space? So, yeah, it's really, really relevant. Hey, and you reminded me, isn't there something coming up like in about a month or so where you and I are going to be co-hosting some kind of little discussion groups and stuff? Do you want to talk about yeah, that? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so Keith and I are really pumped. Um, we're going to be co-facilitating a cohort through the first four weeks of the Christian Peacebuilding Network, which is called Theology of Peacemaking. So if you're interested in learning, you know, how does peacemaking fit with my faith and what does the Bible have to say about peacemaking and kind of more focused on like practice of of peacemaking, but kind of getting into some of the theology. um, Yeah, we're going to be leading a group through that for four weeks starting Wednesday, September 15th. So definitely join us and we'd love to have you. And how much is that? Oh, it's free. Completely free. It's free, boys and girls. (laughs) It's free. There's no reason why everybody listening right now shouldn't jump on and join me and Becca for this because it's going to be really, really cool. And we'll post the link on this episode. You'll be able to see it um, wherever you're listening. So definitely check it out. And we'd love to have you with us. Yeah. And by the way, we should also mention we do have a a Facebook group for listeners of the Peace Catalyst podcast. We'll also post uh, it in there. And that Facebook group is a great place uh, after you listen to an episode if you want to jump in and ask a question or make a comment, talk about how amazing it was and how much you love it and things like that, <laughs> you can jump in the Facebook group and uh, and share over there. So uh, yeah. look for us there too. Maybe we can drop a link for the Facebook group in the show notes as well. Yeah, absolutely. That sounds great.